Today, we are, uh, are going to keep going with our Church Reimagined series, and I wanted to uh, kick this off by just talking to you for a minute about a lesson that I, I learned, um, really from, from my, my dad, uh, or being around my dad. Uh, growing up, the son of a small business owner, um, I, my dad had a, as many of you know, I've told before in different ways, we had a small uh, outdoor store and, and, and it was a place uh, where you could buy hunting and fishing gear and then you could come in and it was, but it was really more of a, a, of a, a man cave that you paid and got a Coke and pack of crackers and hung out for a little while or you got to spend time in that environment. So being the son of that outdoor store owner, I mean, I got to meet all these, these wild and, and unique men that would come in from construction crews all the way to people that love the outdoors. And as the son of the small business owner, if you had thin skin, you ain't going to make it. All right, because uh, they're going to come at you. And uh, I learned a lot by being around those men. That was a tribe. And then dad, dad, as when I was a little boy, he sold that and he got into the game of golf. And then I, I grew up again in another tribe and I grew up the son of the golf pro. And if you've got thin skin, you ain't going to make it uh, if you're the son of the golf pro. And, and so all the, I learned all kinds of good things and all kinds of bad things from being around those dudes. And, and, but it was a tribe for sure. And, and and I, I guess I, I, I learned a lot by I learned a lot about people. I, I grew up watching men, and I grew up being around men, and and uh, I learned a lot about life, and observed a lot. and And one of one of the one of the things that I did pick up on was there was all kinds of people in those tribes, and, and there was one particular man that in in my all time top twenty human beings of, on planet earth. My, he, he's made, he might have even made my all-time top 10 list. His name was Bobby Welch. And I haven't, uh, I haven't thought about him in a long time, but I thought about this man. He was, um, Bobby Welch was about, I, I looked for a picture on the internet, I couldn't find him. And uh, he was probably, he would, if you ever watched Andy Griffith at all, he would remind you of Barney Fife, all right? He, uh, he was about uh, 80 pounds soaking wet. Right, and uh, he he would he he loved the range. He would hit golf balls just constantly. Well, and I I was on the range all the time too, and so so he would uh, he would often get way off by himself and. And he would just hit balls. And when he was done practicing, he looked like he had been in a bar fight. I mean, he would just be sweating. His cap was, he wore the cap sideways way before that was cool. That was just from battling the golf swing, right? And he would, walk, and he would just be drenched. And he would always walk by me. And he would, he would stop. And he would say, I was about 15 years old. And he was, gosh, he was at least 110 back then. And he said, uh, boy, Jason, I watched you hitting that golf ball. You sure are hitting it good, son. And, and then we would talk, and he would always tell me how good, and I was like, well, you're 150 yards away. You don't really know how good I was hitting it or not, but he would always tell me how good I was. And then they used to post our scores in the, in the city newspaper, which was awesome and awful, uh, depending on how you played. And, and he would walk by me sometimes, and he would say, oh, I saw you put it to him on, to, against Riverdale the other day. Boy, that was so good. And I said, thank you, Mr. Welch. I, I appreciate that. And then, then I went through a, a couple years of a slump where I was dreading that newspaper coming out all the time. And uh, he'd walk by and he'd say, hey, I, 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 saw, I saw you played in that tournament, you know, in, at, in Alabama or whatever. He'd say, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. Just uh, keep going. Keep going. And, and I learned something from Mr. Welch. Mr. 
Welch, he, he wasn't, it wasn't just that he was an encourager. Mr. Welch was for me. You ever met anybody that was just for you? I mean, they were just for you. And it, it wasn't a blind eye. It wasn't like he didn't know there were times I was playing awful. But he was just for me. And that really mattered a lot to me. Today in this Church Reimagined series, I want to finish this one. Next week we're going into Missions Month. It's going to be a unique month at Clearview, and I don't want you to miss it, so I'm stopping this one today. But this, this last one, I'm, I'm going to, in Church Reimagined, I'm going to talk to you today about imagine a church that's for one another. Uh, imagine a church that, that is for one another. Now, I, I, typically, I typically don't give you the goal of the sermon, because then you'll be spotting where I'm trying to achieve it, right? But it, when, I, when I get, when I get uh, every week, when I put a sermon together, most guys in my line of work, we have a goal. What's the goal of the sermon? And, and, and I, I thought, you know, this week I'm actually going to do something I don't think I've ever done at Clearview. I'm going to share with you the goal of the sermon. And here it is. The goal of the sermon that I wrote is to see the people of Clearview treat one another and speak about one another so radically different that the people they live with every day are forced to accept the reality of Jesus Christ. That, that we treat each other, those are two pillars, to treat each other and speak with each other that, that is so different than the way the world does it, so different than the way the workplace does it, the people you work with and the people you live with, that they, they, they may not accept Jesus, but they couldn't deny that, that you are different, that you see life different and you look at life different, that we could be for one another that much. Now, I, I want to tell you, um, the Bible says, Paul talked about it in, in 1 Corinthians, that love bears all things. The love believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Wouldn't it be amazing if, if, if every church in the country, wouldn't it be amazing if we just believed the best about each other? Even though we know each other's faults, even though we know each other's problems, even though we know each other's things that we don't like, even though we prefer things were different one to another, even though that, that, that we see the world maybe a little differently, how do you think it would go over in the world if the world knew that in the church we just believed the best about each other? I choose to believe the best about one another. Now I want to talk to you about some deeper things this morning. And I want to give you a little bit of a disclaimer, okay? We're going to talk about, at times, how we don't believe the best about each other. There's times we've all failed. There's times we've gotten it wrong. There's times that even in church, it gets difficult. And I'm going to tell you, don't beat yourself up, right? There's nothing that, that we're not going to talk about this morning that we're all not guilty of, including me. And I mean that. We're all guilty of not believing the best about each other. We're all guilty of not speaking well of one another. We're all guilty of that. We're all guilty about not, of not treating one another the best. We're all guilty of that. Don't beat yourself up. Don't, because we, we'd all be guilty. If it was an altar call, we'd all have to come down, right? But the reality is we can believe the best about each other because it's difficult. If we're going to live and we're going to operate in this thing called a faith community, let me tell you something. It's really difficult because if we're not in heaven yet and we're not in heaven yet, well, then it, sometimes we act like we're not in heaven yet, and people are really difficult to deal with, right? I mean, have you all ever met y'all? 
I mean, I'm telling you, people are difficult. I'm difficult. If you want to find the things about me that you don't enjoy, I can give you a short list, make it easier on you. And I, and I guess what? That goes both ways. That goes both ways. But what if we chose to believe the best about each other? I, I really think that could be a, a huge difference in the way we look at life. And it, we're going to spend some time in the book of James this morning. So if you want got a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of James. In fact, James chapter 3 is where we're, we're going to... Let me tell you something. I'm going to share with you a lot of scripture today, okay? Now, on your seat is this... Uh, or a seat near you is a, is a card. Front, the, black, the back is all blank. You've got all kinds of note-taking room. And I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures this morning for you to look at and, and refer back to, okay? But, so we're, gonna, we're not going to hop around. I'm going to have them on the screen for you. Now, we all know that we should, we all know that we should treat one another with oneness in Christ. We all know we should speak about one another with oneness in Christ. But the reality is, we know we should, but how? How do we actually do it, right? We all know we should. There's a lot of things I know I should do, but how do I actually do it? Well, let me tell you where to start. Start here, that God wants me to see people how he sees me. Now, now don't just read right through that. God wants me to see people like he sees me. Right? So, so there was something that happened to the Apostle Paul. When, when, when Paul was pretty hard on people, in fact, Paul was really hard on especially Christians. He was known to arrest them. He was known to beat them. Right? I don't know. I mean, that's being pretty hard on people, right? Beating people from time to time. I don't like them. I don't like their worldview. I think I'm going to arrest them because I, I can. I'm going to beat up on them from time to time. But when Paul met Jesus, it changed the way Paul looked at people. And he kind of makes a reference to that in 2 Corinthians 5. Look at what he says. He says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. As, as, I, I don't see people according to what they look like in human form. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. See what Paul was telling you? He's using right there basically an idea of an appraisal. You know what an appraisal is. You ever bought a home? He's doing an appraisal. And he said, I don't appraise people the way I used to. You know why? Because if somebody's in Christ, they are what? A new creation. And if they're a new creation, if they're a new creation in God's eyes, I need to see them as a new creation in my eyes. Amen or oh me? Amen. It's hard though, isn't it? It's hard sometimes to see people as a new creation in Christ. Paul, Paul had a different way of appraising people. He, and, and, and that's because God had changed who he was. A lot of times, I think we end up measuring people by our rightness. Notice I didn't say our righteousness. Our rightness. We end up appraising people based on, so often, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Hey, let me, I'm going to give you, like, this is totally free, okay? Let me give you something that will really help you right now because it's helped me. And it's helped me because it's a fault that I've had in my life at times, so often, the way I praise people has nothing to do with spiritual things. It has to do with Jason things. 
You see, I'm the only normal person I know. Now, that was pretty funny. But it's true. See, I set my own definition of normal, and so do you. Have you ever noticed how many times you do this? I do this all the time. I bet you if we walked around with a voice recorder on that iPhone of yours, we'd be amazed at how often we do this to each other, right? You ever thought of how many times you said, that's weird. Already you said, that what you're saying is, that's, that's wrong. That's just weird. That's weird. See, anything, because you, you're the only normal person you know. So whatever you think is normal, anybody that deviates from that standard is abnormal, right? I'm going to tell you, right? So, I mean, there's all kinds of things that I don't think are right, but it has nothing to do with the righteous. Like, I don't think it's right that people eat turnip greens. That's the honest truth. Y'all are messed up. I'm going to save y'all a lot of money right now, real quick, all right? Let me, let me tell you why I don't eat turnip greens, because if I'm going to mow the yard, I'm not going to eat the clippings. All right? I'm just not. I'm not going to do that. I don't care how much Texas peat you put on them. Right? That's grass, people. That is grass. Don't eat the grass. That's weird. Right? It's not righteous. It's just weird. Now, a lot of y'all, my grandmother is in heaven. I'm telling you, holiest woman I've ever met. That woman was as gentle as you could be, but she would back up an entire interstate if she saw something growing in the ditch. Collards. And she would stop on any road. I've seen her do it to me. Hit the brakes. Wham. What happened, nanny? I go, Hold on a minute. She would get out and pull stuff out of a ditch. And then cook them, man. That's messed up. All right? That's messed up. But, no, so, so often the way we look at things are way more the way that we would like them to be looked at. See, Jesus changed Paul's filter. And I want to see people the way God sees me because if I'm looking for things I don't like, guess what? That is an easy search, isn't it? That's an easy search. I don't even need Google for that search. So in James chapter 3, James is trying to talk to the people about the way they talk to one another. And there's really something interesting that he says, and I hope you pick up on it. We're going to just read the first 12 verses. James says... Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that such will, we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in, any, in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, that's the words come out of his mouth, he, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put bits into the horse's mouth so they will obey us, we direct their entire body. Look at a ship. Although... They are so great and driven by strong winds, they're still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So the ship goes where the rudder tells it. Now he compares that ship and that rudder to a with the, the human tongue. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. He's literally saying that the words out of your mouth can start a fire. And the tongue is a fire. In the very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and it's set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures in the sea is tamed, or it has been tamed by the human race. What he's saying is the men and women have been able to tame animals, but verse 8 says, but no one can tame the tongue. 
It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, this is the verse that I really want you to focus on. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, with the tongue, we curse mankind or men or women who've been made in the image of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh water. You know what he's saying right there, don't you? He's not, by the way, he's not talking to everybody not in the church. He's talking to the people in the church. So gravitate on that for a minute. He's talking to people like you and me. And what he's saying is, with the same mouth, people come to church on Sunday, and they sing to God, and they pray to God, and they raise their hands, and they turn right around and hammer one another later in the week. And he's saying, brothers, sisters, that ought not be. And and it's not because it's wrong. It is wrong. But it's not because it's wrong. It's because there is within that an image problem. I told you that if we want to see the best in one another, we're going to have to see each other the way God sees us, right? We're going to have to do that. So how in the world can we stand and praise God and pray to God and then turn right around and speak harshly evil things about people in the body? He said the blessing and cursing can't come out of the same mouth. And, and, he, and he pointed to that, and he said in verse 9, With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and we curse men. Here's the key phrase, who have been made in the likeness of God. You know, Genesis 1.27 says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. See, we are image bearers. We are image bearers. I I really want you to sit on that for a minute. Because this, boy, every time I read that, it, it penetrates me deeply. Because when, when, when I don't speak well of someone in the body of Christ, what I'm doing is I'm not really just running down them. I'm running down an image bearer. And see, that's different, isn't it? It's different when they're an image bearer versus just they do things that I wouldn't do that way. If we're an image bearer, we have no right. Listen to me, friends. If if somebody is an image bearer, you have no ability to speak poorly of them because they are a part of the same spirit family you are. So Paul used that word appraisal, and he's saying when Jesus changed me, he changed the filter, right? When Jesus changed me, he changed the filter with which I look at people with. So I will tell you this as a a simple tip. When you stop using earthly eyes to appraise spiritual people, you'll start treating spiritual people with spiritual maturity. See that? Let, Let me say that again to you. When you stop using earthly eyes to appraise spiritual people... You'll start treating spiritual people with spiritual maturity. Show me somebody that is always running down or gossiping about other people, and I'll show you someone that has a heart problem. They have a heart problem. But listen, I told you, don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up because you know what? There isn't a single person in this room, including me, that hasn't dropped it right here, 
crossed the line right here. Wish we could taken it back. I mean, my stars. How many times in life do you wish, if I could only have not have said that? Oh, my gosh. Right? I mean, it happens to all of us all the time. So if you want to get over the hump right here, if you want to imagine a church where people are for one another, see people the way God sees you. And I would tell you one other, one other key foundation is to understand that God gave me his family for my protection. So now, now this, where, where are you going with that? Yeah, not only just, I can see the seeing people. What do you mean, though, that God gave me a family? Well, God gave you a, God gave you a family of spiritual people to live life with. And let me give you a, a reason why this matters so much in the book of James. Do you notice in verse 1, it says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brothers and sisters, my brethren, your Bible might say, brethren. Let me tell you something about studying the Scriptures. One of the things you can do if you really want to know the context of a, of a passage of Scripture is, A, read the whole book, okay? Always start with the context, read the whole book. But I'm going to tell you something else you can do. I do this all the time. I don't make a lot of notes in my Bible because it distracts me at times. But if you were to flip through the book of James, you would see a bunch of highlighted words. If you were to flip through... Um, like maybe like, let's say, uh, where's the other one that I've done? I've, I've done this with most of the books, but I think it's Ephesians where I've taken and you would just see like orange, like constantly. Right. And so I go through these books and, and I just, I, I, fi- I find recurring words, words that are repetitive because if you find the recurring words, what you're going to discover is that there's a pattern and that pattern has, is there for a reason. See, they were an oral culture, and so James uses the word brothers. I mean, it's all in this book. Brothers, 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 brothers. It is in every chapter, I think, multiple times. So why would he do that? It ties into this very sermon topic. You see, you got to understand that James wrote this book to a a bunch of new Christians who were coming out of the Jewish faith. And they were being persecuted for their newfound faith. And because they they were people struggling, they had left one family. Stay with me now. They had left one family, and they had been transferred into another family. And because they were transferred into another family, they were in spiritually hostile territory. And because they were in spiritually hostile ter- territory, they needed each other. And that, that's why he says brothers and sisters. And what he's saying is the reason that we don't speak ill of each other and the reason we don't gossip about each other and say things we don't like about each other is because we are actually running down the family. And we need our family. See, some of you came from very dysfunctional families. Man, I've watched families. I'm sure you may even have have some of this in your family. Man, I've seen people that that I've I've set off to the side and thought, you know, it takes a lot more work to y'all to be that mean to each other. I've seen families that just spent so much, if they spent as much time Loving each other as they did hating on each other. It takes actually more work to keep it stirred up. But that was all they knew. You ever met people like that? 
That they just, I mean, that's, that's all the normal they know. Some of you came from families where you just saw the worst of how you treat each other. And so what we see in the word of God is that we are to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. We are called to be brothers and sisters. And what James is saying is, my brethren, these things ought not be. Imagine a church where we were four one another. See, God gave you a family. Let me tell you why he gave you a family. He gave you a family because if you're going to live life in spiritually hostile territory, you need people, right? But if you are an orphan spiritually, this is why you need a church family. If you are a spiritual orphan, what are you in the world of battle? Vulnerable. Do you hear me? You're vulnerable. Without a church family, you're vulnerable. Without a church family, you're open to more attention. You've you got to have people, you gotta have people that are watching your back. You've got to have people that are for you. They may not like everything about you, but they're for you. See, we, we live in spiritually hostile territory. Paul said in Ephesians 2, he said, For through him we have both have access to one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's talking about who you used to be. But now you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are of God's household, Ephesians 2.18. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer orphans. You've got a new family. So if you want to be for one another, see one another as God sees you, and honor your spiritual family, because that family is there for your protection. That's why James is mind. In, in the mind of James, he just could, you can tell he can't conceive of people being under one Jesus, treating people the way the rest of the world treats them. It ought not be. So this morning, I'm going to give you, I told you, don't beat yourself up. And I told you, I was not only going to talk to you. We all know we should be for one another. But I want to, I want to talk to you about how. Well, there may be 15, 20 reasons. But I'm going to give you what I'm just going to call three callings, okay? Three callings. There's three callings that you're called to. According to Scripture this morning, there's three callings that you are called to. Now, by the way, you get to choose whether or not you want to take this path. The Bible is constantly calling us to higher ground, right? The Bible is calling us to go higher, higher ground, to be more in the likeness of Christ, to live in the likeness of Christ, to climb up the mountain of, of literally being more Christ-like. So you don't have to do these, but if you want to follow the man from Nazareth, you're going to have to do it. And these are the three callings. And, and I'm going to go back to what I told you about in the very beginning about the goal. Look at the goal, right? To see the people of Clearview treat one another and speak about one another, so radically different that the people they live with every day are forced to accept the reality of Jesus. How we treat, those are the two pillars, how we treat one another and how we speak about one another, those are the foundations of these callings. And the first one I would give you is this, is that I am called to renew life because I was made new. I am called to renew life because I was made new. So Jason, what do you mean by that? Well, you're, you're called to be a life giver, not a life taker, right? You're called to be a life giver, not a life taker. So we are to speak life 
So I want to I get into I want to get into a couple of scriptures this morning that are are honestly pretty heavy. But the word of God is there for our benefit. So let's look at it for a minute. Proverbs 18:21 tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Notice that's a choice. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Friends, listen. We are called to speak life. That's a choice. That's a choice. It's what James talking about with fresh water or salt water. Which, which well is it going to be? The Bible, the Bible says, this isn't Jason. The Bible says that you can spawn life with your words. And you can also create death with your words. You don't think that's true? How many people have you met in counseling at the age of 40 or 50 that are still there because of what their mother said to them? How many people do you know that are grown adults that their daddy spoke things into them and they still can't get past it? I watched girl after girl, my high school, my high school experience was great. But in my class, my, my senior class, there were some really mean girls. And I watched them target a few girls and just destroy them with their words. And I often think about those girls if they made it. Because I've been a pastor a long time. It's interesting how those things come up 30 years later. So we, can, we, can, we can bring death or we can bring life. But I really don't think that most people realize in the house of God the power of that statement right there. We can bring death or we can bring life. Proverbs 11 says it this way. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. I want you to focus on that word, destroys. Do you realize that those two verses, in Proverbs 18 and Proverbs 11, just on those two verses alone, it can tell us that our words can bring death and destruction. And Let me translate that for you. When we gossip about one another, it is murder. It is murder. It is no different than assassinating somebody. That's one thing for us to disagree. Oh my gosh, disagreements can be healthy. But I can't tell you the number of people I've met in my in my own ministry life alone that quit going to church because of a business meeting. So I can't take it anymore. I just can't take it, watching people yell and scream and fight like that. That's, that hasn't happened here, at least that I know of. But the, the, the Bible talks about our words as the ability to bring life or, or, or to bring destruction. And, and so fresh water can't come from an, an unclean well. And so that's why I'm telling you over and over and over again, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you how to get out of this, okay? If you want to be for each other, let me tell you how to get out of this, all right? When somebody has hurt you, 
Listen, you're not going to spend any time in your life going through a church without getting hurt. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Like if you got, if you got thin skin, any people group ain't easy. And that goes for the PTO. That goes for a golf course. That goes for the business culture. That goes for, you know, playing on a sports team, being in high school, being in a fraternity, being in a sorority, going to a family reunion, because we've all got that, you know, cousin that just thinks that, you know, their spiritual gift is to bring you down. Well, you're a little bigger than I would have saw you last time. I didn't know that. Wow, thanks a lot. I had no idea that that, I just thought I had to buy new jeans. I didn't realize they didn't fit anymore. (laughs) You know, you ever met people like that? Yeah, life's tough. Life's got hard people. But I want to tell you something. Jesus, Jesus gives us a remedy for this. And listen to me, Christian friend. It is a commandment. It is not a suggestion. And it's in Matthew 18. Don't turn there, but write it down. In Matthew 18, Jesus Christ himself says that if you, if, if you realize that you have an offense against someone, what you do is you go to that person. That's not a holy suggestion. That is the same Jesus that died on the cross for you. It is the same Jesus that came out of the grave for you. It is the same Jesus that sent the Holy Spirit for you. And he is saying to you, do not talk to other people about other people. You go to that person. You see, you know why? Because death and murder cannot live in the context of holiness. Do you hear me? Death, murder, murder, murder can't exist in the context of holiness. Murder can only exist in the context of sin. Murder cannot. So if I, Mark's on the front row. Mark, you got to quit sitting on the front row, Mark. All right, so Mark's in the front row. If I've got a problem with Mark, you know why the Bible, Jesus told me to go straight to Mark? Because I can look in his eyes and I can say, hey, what did you mean by that? Oh, I, don't, I just had a bad cup of coffee, man. I didn't even know I said it. Oh, okay. But if I go to Charlie, boy, I'm just getting on everybody. And I, and I start talking to Charlie about Mark, well, now we're off the rails, aren't we? We're off the rails. For A, Mark's not there to to say, no, that's not the whole story. But you know what I'm also going to do? Stay with me, friend. You know what I'm going to do? I'm hurt. Mark hurt me. I mean, you know, he's done it before, and you know you have, Mark. Okay? (laughs) Listen, there's not a better dude in this church than that guy right there. All right? So let's just say Mark has hurt me. I'm going to tell Charlie a version of that story, and it's my version, isn't it? It's my version. And it may not be that I'm lying. I'm just hurt. And you know what I've learned about hurting people? Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt other people. Reckless people with their words, they're typically wrecked. And sometimes the reason that I'm hurt has nothing to do with, with something Mark did. It could be that my dad spoke over me and I've been angry ever since. You ever met really angry people? There's things down in there, and sometimes I don't even know why. But if I'm talking to Charlie about Mark, number one, Mark can't, he can't talk about it. But number two, guess what? When I, when I just said with his mouth a godless man destroys, I'm going to plant thoughts into Charlie Huff's mind 
that aren't necessarily righteous thoughts. And now all of a sudden, Charlie's got to unpack and unwind a persona that I've created. Don't beat yourself up. We've all done it. We've all done it. We've all done it. But it's tied to a form of godlessness. Because if I really care about Mark, you know what I want? I want me and Mark to be okay. I want me and Mark to be good, solid. Oh, we may disagree, but I love Mark and Mark loves me. And you know the greatest form of that love? Go to Mark. Go to Mark. You know what I found about miscommunication? 99 times out of 100, if you're upset with somebody or they're upset with you, it tended to do with interpretation of something. It just did. It's really uncomfortable when we stand here preaching about you, isn't it? I know that it's kind of strange, but not really. Mark's calm. He doesn't mind. No. So what's the first calling? The first calling is to give life. Go back to the... Go back to the calling. Go back to, Nate, to the first one. I am called. Yeah, keep going. Go backward. There we go. I'm called to renew life because I was made new. And let me tell you something, friends. Let me tell you how to stop this. Let me tell you how to stop it in your workplace. Have y'all ever seen, have y'all ever seen gossip take over your workplace? Oh, come on. There's a reason that James calls gossip a wildfire. Boy, it can do a lot of damage in a hurry, can't it? So I'm called to renew life. So, so when, I, when I look at wanting to give life, I'll tell you the easiest way to do it. If you have somebody come to you, listen to me now, listen to me close. I don't want you to be a partner in sin. You hear me? Don't partner with sin. When somebody's been hurt, we, we don't live in this culture, by the way. This is not how America works. And, and, and to be really honest, it's not how the American church works either. But more often than not, somebody that's hurt is going to want to go to one of their friends. And if you're a good friend, let me tell you what you do. What Charlie should do is say, Jason, have you gone to Mark? No. Well, then don't talk to me. I love you too much. Jason, stop it. Don't do it. Have you gone to Mark? Mark's made in the image of God. Are you hurt? Yeah, I'm hurt. Yeah, because Mark's a jerk. Ask Melina, she'll tell you. <laughs> right? Jason, do you love Mark? Sometimes, not today. Do you love God? Well, that's below the belt, Charlie. Go to Mark. Go to Mark. Don't come to me. And let me tell you, I take that verse seriously. You know why? I don't want to murder you. I don't want to assassinate you because I'm hurt. And I've been hurt by Christians and by non-Christians. And so have you. We've all been guilty of this. But I'm called to renew life. I'm called to renew it. Imagine, imagine a church where people knew they were for you. Oh, they didn't always agree with you. But they were for you. 
There's another calling that you have that you can choose to give, and that is I'm called to forgive because I was forgiven. Oh, man. I, I, I'm called to forgive because I was forgiven. Look at what Colossians 3 says. Colossians 3 says, make allowance for one another's faults. But we could just do a whole sermon on that. Make, a, make allowance for one another's faults. Because you know what? Honest truth, I'm not always good at that. I'm not, I'm not as good at that as I wish I was, to be really honest with you. Make allowance for one another's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive one, one another. Above all, close your, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. If you don't have harmony, it's because you're not bound together. If you're not bound together, it's because you're not loving well. If you're not loving well, you're not clothing yourself with forgiveness. Rewind that. You see how that works? If there's no harmony, there's, we're not bound together. If we're not bound together, it's because we're not loving well. If we're not loving well, it's because we're not forgiving well. And we're, it's because we're choosing to remember one another's faults. But Paul also said in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that love keeps no record of wrongs. I hate that verse. <laughs> Hate's a strong word. I don't like it. Because I, I don't know about y'all, but when, when somebody's hurt me in the past, oh man, there's a scoreboard in my head. I'm like, dang, why did I remember that? That was seven years ago. Yeah, because I didn't forgive. That's why I didn't. That's why I remember it. It's tough. I'm called to forgive because I was forgiven. A lot of times the reason we hurt is because we've been hurt. And then there's one other calling. I'm called to accept because I was accepted. See, that's why we're for each other. See, when James talks about brethren, 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 what he's saying is we were all changed by Jesus. And in this family... If there's any place on planet earth that we should be for one another, is it not here? Is it not this place? For one another doesn't mean blanket acceptance, and it certainly doesn't mean blanket endorsement. We are never called to tolerate sin, but we're always called to accept sinners, of which I am one. Paul actually said he was the chief of them. So look at what Colossians 3 says. Make allowance. You know what he's saying right there, you guys? This is tough. So he's saying, Jason, create space in your life, in your heart. Create space. For one another's faults. I know you don't want to. Keep that thing locked down. No he's saying. Make room. And forgive. Make room and forgive. Because remember. Why, why, let me ask you something. Why do you think Paul used the word remember? Because we forget. There's a presupposition there. We forget. Oh, yeah. Whew. I forgot. I needed the blood of Jesus, too, over my tongue. I needed the blood of Jesus, too, over my thoughts. 
I need that. Imagine a church. Imagine a church that was for one another. Just for one another. In the way we treat, in the way we talk, that we made room for one another's faults. I don't know, but boy, let me tell you something. If every one of us in this room could stamp that verse on our church and on our lives and on our businesses and on our ball teams, if we could stamp that verse on our lives, I don't know about you, I want to be there. Don't you? I want to be there. So what do we do with this? That's the big question. What do we do? Because there's not a one of us in this room that hasn't blown it on this. And that's the honest truth. Me included. I think, I think the answer, when you look at the scriptures, really, it really lies in something Jesus said. I think it comes down to purifying our hearts. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What do you do with this? Ask God to purify your heart. Because you see, sin can't live in the context of purity. And by purifying your heart, what you do is you come before the Lord and you say, God, am I angry? Oh, I don't mean angry about a situation. Am I just angry? You know what I've learned about anger? It's usually just unresolved pain. I've met people who were very angry, and they treat the whole world with anger based on something that happened 30 years ago. Are you, are you hurt about something that happened in life? I've seen, I've seen people not deal with wounds, and they end up wounding other people because they're wounded. What did you learn as a little kid? From your mom and dad, don't go near a wounded animal. They'll bite you. They'll bite you, son. See, sometimes the reason that we have a hard time making room in our hearts for others' faults is we haven't made room in our hearts for our own. The reason we're so hard on each other sometimes is because we're so hard on ourselves. I've seen person after person do it to themselves. So what do you do if you want to be a part of a church that, 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 that is for one another? Because I want to tell you guys something. If there's, if, if there's anything I know to be true right now in 2021 in a world that you see every day on the news and you see on the radio and the world you see on social media and the way you see the marketplace going and the way you see posts from people. I mean, the posts that Christians are putting out right now on social, it's mind-boggling to me sometimes. I'm talking about mind-boggling that they would talk about other people in Christ that way. I cannot fathom it. We are in a hurting, tired, exhausted, mad world. And I'm telling you, I think 
if we could be the place that is the sanctuary from all of that, you think people don't need that right now? Oh, I think the world right now is starving, or maybe I should say dehydrated. Dehydrated from being in an environment that is just taking life and taking life and taking life and taking life and taking life. But if we could be life givers, oh man, oh man, wouldn't that be something? You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world is sending them the word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.